I started to say that was lovely, lovely, but I realized I started to sound like Lawrence Welk, and some of you, <laughs> lovely, lovely are Don, and I can't do it, so I better not. Don, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. Well, welcome to the house of the Lord. I'm Ralph Lowe. I'm pastor, uh, one of the senior pastors here, and um, we're so delighted to have you. You have braved the storm to come in in the peace of Jesus. I'd like you to turn with me to our text this morning. It's in the book of Luke. We're still on a message that is being blessed beyond measure. This is a timeless message, and it's also a very broad message. It doesn't matter what age you are, you like to be blessed beyond measure. Every child in the house, every young person, and I'm not so sure there's not some really old young people who still like Christmas and like the blessings of receiving a Christmas. And Jesus says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And that's a mature aspect of Christianity. We don't expect our three-year-olds to grasp that. Maybe even our five-year-olds, eight-year-olds. But as we grow, one of the things we want to teach our children is it's even more blessed to get a gift for somebody at Christmas. That's something as parents you just yearn for is the day when your, your kids start taking care of you. Yes? Amen. So you can work towards that because it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So we're talking about being blessed beyond measure because Jesus lays out how to become blessed in this life. He's our example. He was the greatest blessing this earth has ever, ever seen. He was the greatest. He really was the original Christmas gift, yes? And he gave the greatest gift to the world of all, and that is him. Jesus was given as God's beloved son as a gift, for God so loved the world that he gave. If you'll turn with me to Luke 6, beginning in verse 35, we're going to begin where we left off last week. We're not going to recap too much about this verse here, but we ended with this verse and moving on from there. But love your enemies and do good and land, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be what great and you will be called what sons of who the most high wow for god is kind to even the hardest people to love we talked about last week the hardest people to love many times are the ungrateful and the hurtful and that word in um, many v translations is for God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And it actually means those who are hurtful. Because we would say, oh, nobody, we're not evil people. But when you turn that into hurtful, it applies to all of us, doesn't it? And God still loved us beyond that. And then going on to verse 36, be merciful, even as our Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Not just normally, but in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will he put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be what? Measured back to you. I'd like to just pray over this word just very quickly. Heavenly Father, I pray the divine miracle of your word going out today into every heart and into every hearer that's here today. 
that, God, you will custom make a message, a custom gifted message just for every individual here so everyone will walk away and say, God, you made a sermon, you made a message just for me. And I pray that will be on the lips and hearts of everyone here when we close this service. I pray for that miracle because you're a generous, good God. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Well, we're talking about a principle of the kingdom that brings great blessing into our lives. What a great time of year to talk about generosity, isn't it? What's ironic is, is that the world knows something about this season of time. Even though many of us are stretching our budgets and beyond to get gifts for everybody, this is when we get called to support charities. You would think that's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? That this isn't the time that we all ought to be hit on uh, to give to groups. I, I got called by my alma mater and guilted into giving again this year. And it was during this time. Susie goes, why do they call during Christmas time? And it's because we found that once people get on a roll being generous, they just keep on doing it. It's almost like a momentum thing that actually organizations can get more money during this season. There's something about the heart of God that opens up in Christmas, that opens up in the rest of us, even if we're not believers in the Lord. People just become generous during this time of year. Well, we've got to be wise in that generosity so we continue to be, can, we can continue to be generous through the rest of the year. And these people that are, they're praying for a normal generosity. I don't know where my thing just took off there on me. It just had a glitch. I don't know why. Come on. Should be going to normal generous. Oh. Thank you, Jesus. This is normal generosity in the world. People are giving gifts. They're giving to charities. It's normal generous. But what we want to talk about is our Savior, Jesus. He is Jesus generous. It's such a beautiful thing to have the Lord in our hearts and make us generous beyond normal. And we're going to talk a little bit more today. This whole passage of Scripture in Luke hits us in every way we can turn, um, in our attitudes, in our finances, in just every aspect of our life. When you read Luke 6, you go, man, God is talking about generosity in every direction of our life and internally and externally. It's, it's amazing when you realize that he's mirroring this is how God is. He's generous inside and out in every direction. And today, we're going to talk about a Jesus generous that will really stretch us. But if we can capture what God wants to say in this area of our life about generosity, we will find that there is a great reward in it. Actually, I know of three presents that every one of us in this room would like, and I'm going to talk about those today. And when we receive these presents, it's, it's some of the greatest presents humans can give you. It's actually something God wants us to give each other. And these gifts that we have the ability to give to each other really cost us no money at all. And they're some of the greatest gifts you and I can receive. And we have that opportunity to do that today and the rest of our life, to give somebody the greatest gift they could ever receive from another human. And we find that when we can begin to give these gifts to one another, the rewards just come back into our life manifold. For God says, give, and it will be given. The same measure you give will be given back to you, the scriptures say. Well, the three gifts I want to talk about today start with the very first verse following the one from last week, verse 36. 
be merciful as your Father is merciful. I don't know if you've ever deserved a whipping, literally or figuratively, and somebody stayed their hand from beating you up like you deserved, and the feeling it gives you when you don't get what you deserve. Um, I heard a story this week that I don't believe is true, but it was told in a, in a manner to make a point, so maybe it's like a human parable. But this story is about a 14, 15-year-old boy that lived on the East Coast. He lived in a Bay Area. They lived in one of the most beautiful pieces of property in their Eastern Coast area. And they had a bay that just, their, their property jutted out into the bay and they had an orchard. And he said, my dad could have moved to a better place, but it was so beautiful. My dad stayed there and farmed this orchard at a minimal subsistence in about the 1950s or 60s is when this took place. And they owned one big pickup, and it was just a, a rattle trap. And he said it sounded like an old man on, with breathing issues driving down the road, you know, just wheezing and buckling down the road. And after a period of time, his dad scraped enough money together to get a family car. And this boy remembers just the excitement of now he's not as embarrassed, you know, when parents drop him off at school or their family sees. They had a car. And, and one day he, had, after taking driver's ed, had garnered up the courage to ask his dad if he could drive the family car into town. And his dad said, sure, son, the keys are on the counter there. And the, the boy went out and started the car. And it just purred like a kitten. He couldn't believe how beautiful it sounded. And he realized he'd forgotten his wallet, so he goes in the house and... As he's going in the house, and this was a standard manual transmission car, as he's going in the house, he's thinking, boy, I hope I put the parking brake on. And it just was that fleeting thought you have, you know. And he came out, and sure enough, the car wasn't there anymore. And his heart began to race as he ran out, and he saw the tracks in the snow where this car had rolled down the hill and over the bank, and he ran just in time to see the rear taillights on the car staring back at him as it went into the water. I mean, can you imagine this boy, and his heart is just sunk and the story in the story, the boy is, as you can imagine, is trying to he he'd I mean, the initial thought was, I'm not ever going to go back home. I'm just going to run away. I cannot face my family. They worked so hard to get this one car, and they'd only had it a week or so, and it's gone. And he steals himself, and he goes back to the house, and of course, he doesn't know how he's going to approach his dad and what he's going to say to his dad. But his dad is sitting where he'd left him in the living room reading the newspaper, his back to the door. And the boy came in and he began to stutter. Dad, Dad, I, I, don't, I, don't, Dad, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say this, but Dad, yes, son? I've, the car, it's gone. What do you mean? I forgot to put the parking brake on and it rolled into the bay. It's gone, Daddy. I, and he's just bracing himself. And he said his dad reached up with his left hand and turned the page and Kept reading, and he said he never forgot what his father said. His dad, without turning around, just says, Well, I guess you'll have to take the truck now. 
And that boy said he never forgot his dad's response. That's mercy. Isn't that the greatest gift that father could have given that son in that moment? The son wouldn't have wanted $10. He wouldn't have wanted a new bike. The greatest gift we can receive at times in our life is when somebody else gives you what you don't deserve in the form of mercy. Anybody ever receive mercy and you go, oh my gosh, I will never forget that person. I will never forget them. And we have received all kinds of material gifts in the course of our life. And I'm guessing if you had to write down, I'd like you now, if you're, if you're 16 and older, I'd like you, don't do this, but take out a piece of paper and write down all the Christmas and birthday gifts you've ever received in your life. How many think you'll miss some? <laughs> you're laughing. I, I, some of us are even trying to remember. I know I got one Tonka truck one time and a flashlight. I know I can remember those two gifts, you know. And always socks and underwear. I, I don't know why we got those, but I can remember those. But when you receive mercy from somebody, they have given you the richest present you could ever receive. And Jesus is saying to us, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful to you. So we all in this room have to say, yeah, humans have given me some of the greatest mercy in the world. But my heavenly Father is letting me be with him undeserved. He's forgiven me undeserved. Your heavenly Father has given you and I off the chart mercy. Yes? yes? Yeah. None of us deserve heaven. None of us deserve to be called a child of God, a son of the Most High, a daughter of the Most High, and yet he deems you his friends while you were at one time his enemy. He gave us mercy. And all of you, many of you know the story of the lady that was caught in the very act of adultery. And Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Here the Son of God could have condemned her, but he didn't. He showed her such great mercy that the mercy spread through the crowd and she received mercy from everybody as a result of what Jesus did. Oh, greatest gift that she could have ever received was mercy on that day. Mercy. Give and it shall be given back to you. Any of you need mercy? Well, not lately, but you will sometime, right? Someday you're going to need mercy. You're going to be behind a girl or a lady in a car and she's not turning right on a, on a red light and you'll honk at her. And then you'll see in the crosswalk this old man walking across a crosswalk. If she'd have gone when you told her to, she'd have ran over him. And you drop your head and you expect her to give you her number one sign. And she just waves at you and gives you mercy. Little things like that mean a lot, don't they? When somebody deserves something they don't get. Well, the other gift, the other two gifts really come through this next verse. Judge not and you will not be judged. These are the only two verses I'm going to talk about today because as I realized, they're huge. They're just way too huge to just go on to a bunch of other verses. These verses are amazing. I'm going to ask another question, a little survey. How many of you really enjoy when people misjudge you? Or they just plain judge you? 
I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard now on television programs or the movies, you don't know me. You can't say that about me. You just don't know me that well. You don't know me well enough to say that about me. And somebody's made a comment about them and what they were thinking, what they were doing, and they're just, they rise up because you don't know what I'm thinking. Quit telling me what I'm thinking. One of the hardest things in the world is when somebody judges you without knowing you. They judge you before they've heard all the facts, before they know what you're thinking. That's called prejudging, and it's where we get the word prejudice. And how many of you like the prejudice in the world? None of us do, especially when it happens to us. So one of the greatest things in the world that somebody can give you is a generous spirit in that they don't judge you prematurely. I love getting around people that have just generous hearts, and you just know they're not going to judge you. In fact, it's kind of fun to go to a church like that, and everybody says, amen. This is one of the easiest churches for me to invite people to because I can say, they won't judge you. You know, Samuel was a great prophet, and even he judged David's sons without knowing them. Oh, this must be the king, not the little runt, you know, in the field over here, but this one, because he's big and tall and good-looking. No, not that one. Not this one. God finally says to Samuel, he says, man looks on the outward, God looks on the inward. And how many times are we like Samuel the prophet and we just size people up? I mean, that's one of the greatest um, hobbies is to just sit in the mall and just judge people that go by. We don't call it that. We're just, we're just speculating with our friend. Oh, I know the story on that couple. I can tell you right now. She's outspending her visa card and he's mad at her. And I bet you blah, blah, blah. And you find out it's him that went over on the visa card. to do boom. That's how we misjudge, right? How many of you know women spend way more money than men in America? That's right. You women are you know, spenders. No. The stats are men. You spend more money than women. But we prejudge ladies because there's this image of ladies with the credit card and shopping. Truth is, ladies buy more things, but... All it takes is one Dodge pickup, and you've outspent her for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, that doesn't count. That's for the family. Yeah, oh, yeah, the kids are begging for dad to get a big diesel four-wheel drive. You know. Your daughter's so excited to go to ballerina class now in that four-wheel drive pickup. You know. And, of course, everybody knows a man needs a good rifle because he's, he's getting the bread for the family. Yeah, right, yeah. So we have to be careful how we judge one another, judge each other in marriage. I mean, it's amazing how many years Susie and I have been married, and I misjudge her to this day. She really wasn't near as mad at me as I thought she was. You know, it's just a misjudger. Nobody likes to be told what they're thinking when you don't know what they're thinking. Now, we have to clarify what judging is. Judging is hearing and determining, forming an opinion, Dooming, to examine, investigate, question, to decide, to condemn, to form an opinion, to prejudge, which is the root of being prejudice. Prejudice denotes prejudging, to judge beforehand, preferring somebody else over somebody else, putting somebody else aside in favor of somebody else, an unfavorable judgment due to partiality. Now, what we have to realize is we quote a lot of times in the church, judge not so you won't be judged. 
But we've got to define judgment isn't stating a fact. If, if I'm at a store and I see a man hit a, his wife, I can say this man violently hit his wife on the cheek. What I can't say is why he did it. Now, I don't think any woman would ever deserve it. But I don't know why he did that. Did he see a bee on her face and he slapped her and... You know, she's allergic deathly to bees. What if that was the case? She's deathly allergic to bees, and we walk in as he slaps her cheek and knocks the bee out, and before it stings her and saves her life, and you're running up strangling him. You never know. Now, I would never let a man do that in public and not set, I would probably step in and just be prejudgmental on that one. That's kind of an obvious one. But uh, when a, a referee or a baseball umpire says foul ball, he's not being judgmental. The ball went foul. If he looks at the kid and says, why are you trying to be a hero and hit a home run every time you get up to bat? That's judgmental. You don't know what the kid's thinking when he swings hard. Maybe the coach chewed him out all week because he's been so timid at the plate for so long. And the coach is saying, if you ever get up there and don't swing your hardest ever again, you're going to be benched. And the kid's swinging away and everybody in the crowd thinks, oh, he's just trying to be a glory hog. No, you don't know what he's thinking. You don't know what is in his heart. And if he's walking back to the bench after striking out and he hears in the crowd, you glory hog, why are you swinging for the fence? It would just devastate that young boy, wouldn't it? That's called judging. It's one of the hurt, most hurtful things you can ever do in your life in your social relationships. When you assume a poor characteristic in somebody else's life and you have no idea why they're doing what they're doing. When we question people's motives without talking to them or understanding, that's judging. You don't know why I became a preacher. God does. Was it because I love hearing my voice? People could say that about preachers, yes. I just want to tell you, it's one of the most hurtful things I could ever hear. Because they're judging my motives. They could say, Ralph, you went a little long last Sunday. That's true. <laughs> and that will hurt, but it's not being judgmental. You just stated the facts, baby. But last week, I don't think I did that. <laughs> in fact, we actually have plants in the audience that are timing me that will tell me afterwards. We've gone to that place so that we can help you not have to judge me. <laughs> Judging, though, is one of the most hurtful things. Somebody who's generous who does the opposite, gives you one of the greatest gifts there is, where they don't judge you. You've made a mistake. You've done something. You've done something publicly or online or whatever, and they don't judge you. They just leave room to talk to you later about it if they feel like they need to talk to it, or they just assume. The Bible says that love believes all things, hopes all things. Now, that doesn't mean I believe all the time they're being naughty. It's the opposite. When you say love believes all things, I don't assume they've done something wrong first. I'm going to assume that their intentions were right. I'm going to assume that they love me. I'm going to assume they'd never want to do that intentionally or on purpose or with that, in, with that um, perception in mind. That was never on their heart. I'm going to believe the best in people. And when people do that to you, isn't that one of the greatest gifts you could ever receive? I, re I realize that when you're feeling judged, we begin to do two things. St. Augustine said this. He said, oh, Lord, deliver me from this lust of always vindicating myself. Have you ever been there where you feel like people are judging you on the outside and you have this conversation in your head and you begin to vindicate yourself? If they just knew how hard it is to be a mother with seven kids, 
They wouldn't judge me in the store. I saw those ladies looking at me in the produce section when my kids were out of hand. She probably was thinking I'm a lousy mother. And I'm starting to, everybody does this. We all hear voices in our head that nobody's saying. But when somebody does say it, it's so hurtful. Because we're already sensitive about things. We're already self-critical. We're already thinking people probably think this and that about me. I drive into, and my pickup's all dirty, and I, I, I think, oh, man, people are probably judging me and how sloppy and lazy I am that I won't clean up around the house by looking at my pickup. I hope they're not judging me based on my ugly pickup. And, and we're having these arguments in our head, and we're trying to vindicate ourselves. And when people don't judge you, they give you back vindication. When you hear somebody says, hey, no, I didn't think that at all about you. It just, your defenses just drop. And you just want to hug them. Thank you. I was worried you thought this and that about me. Man, when you live in a non-judgmental environment, it's one of the greatest gifts you can ever have. Because you're set free to not be judged by others. The other word that we use is validation. We try to validate ourselves. We don't feel worthy because we know how other people think about us or we think we know how other people think about us. So we're trying to validate our worth. I'm really not that way. I wish they wouldn't think that about me. I've talked to people be, uh, that, that are members of our church and they'll say, I don't ever want to go back there again. I know what those people are thinking. What do you think they're thinking? And he'll say it and I'll just about fall over. I go, I know these people. I don't even think they could conjure that up. But the judgmental thing is so strong that the enemy plays with it. And this is where the Bible says there's an accuser that stands before God day and night accusing the brethren. And that has an effect on us because it's the little voice in our head that says, I know exactly what my brother or sister were thinking. And you actually hear your brother or sister, your relatives, the people in church, you can actually hear them saying it. Anybody ever had that in your head where you can actually, I can literally hear Pastor Ralph saying, you don't have to use me, but if he, if he found out about this, I know exactly what he'd say, and you hear my voice, or you hear your friend's voice, or you hear your husband's voice, or your wife's voice, and they've never said it, but it's still playing here. Well, the only reason I haven't washed my truck is because I've been so busy, and it snowed yesterday, and the, and the car wash was closed, and, and nobody's even said anything about your truck. Or the way you've raised your kids. Or how you're behaving on the job. Or, or kids, you're at school. I know what all the other kids are thinking when I wear these Levi's. Or I wear this top. They'll all think I'm poor. Or they'll think I'm snooty. Or they'll think I'm... And we hear voices in our heads. This is why it's so critical for Jesus to say, my children... Do not judge one another. It's one of the most hurtful things. They're already prejudging themselves. They're already hurting themselves. None of us have enough self-image. We don't have enough validation or vindication. And we're all struggling with that internally anyway. And when somebody actually does misjudge you on the outside, it just devastates people. It literally shuts down everybody's involvement in the church. We will have no volunteers if this is a judgy place. Who wants to be a greeter when you're criticizing the greeter? Who wants to be in charge of cleaning the floors if, why are the carpets so dirty? I bet, I bet our custodians don't even do anything around here. I mean, what in the world? It would just, nobody would volunteer to be 
How many of you have talked about who wants to be the referee in the basketball game? It'd really be a good deal if they'd run into the bleachers if they had like two cards they could use where they could put a whistle on somebody in the stands and for two minutes you had to go out on the floor. And there was a time period that I treated refs so bad that I began to think, who'd want to be a ref? No wonder the pool of referees is starting to drop and drop and drop in our society and how hard it is to get good referees because who wants to do it? Well, I know that referee's playing favorites. He's from the Treasure Valley. That's why he's rooting for Boise and against Meridian or Meridian against Caldwell. And we get judgmental, and even after a while, people don't want to referee a ball game because people are so misreading the intention of these people that are trying to get the kids from killing each other. Judging is so hurtful that if you can do the opposite and be generous and not judge, you give people the greatest gifts. This is one of the most beautiful things about this church. I would say this last year has not been my personal best year. In this way, so many of you have had to forgive me. When I was preparing this message about six weeks ago, I said, God, thank you for the generosity of our people towards me as their pastor. This has not been my best year. And your generosity has kept me alive many times this year when I wanted to quit. But, you know, I'm not unusual that way. I'm guessing you parents have wanted to quit being parents at times, haven't you? But if somebody in the home will give generosity and forgiveness and mercy and non-judgmental attitudes, it just breathes life back. It's one of the greatest gifts we can give each other. You've given this church a pastor this year because of your generosity and your ability to love and not judge and to say, you know, I've never been a pastor. Maybe that's harder than I think. It is harder than you think. Just like Susie and I are the best parents in this whole church because we've never made one mistake with our kids. The more we get around parents, the more we go, what a tough job you all have. We don't want you to quit. We don't want you to be misjudged by the way you're raising your kids. That's why we don't criticize parents. We believe parents are God-given gifts to their kids. You're the authority in the kid's life, not me. I don't judge you. I try in every way to say, if I had that child, I would not know what to do either. And I have great compassion on you. And I think that feels good to you as a parent for me not to scrutinize your parenting when you walk into church. That's a gift to you that we give one another. And so we allow others to do what they're doing and assume they have good motives. Yes, the Bible says if we catch somebody in sin, we're to go to them in private and remembering ourselves lest we fall, and to be humble and to say, hey, brother, but when it comes to this thing of judge not, what I love about this is if you will not judge, then Jesus says, and you will not be judged. People that are judgmental get judged an awful lot. I'm sorry, it's kind of a reaping and sowing thing, isn't it? So, O oh Lord, deliver me from the lust of always vindicating myself, but at the same time, O oh God, I pray that I don't have to feel that way too often around the people I love. Jesus said this. He says, 
Later on in this very context, he says, why do you take and try to take the speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own? Why do we judge people when we have enough issues of our own? I, I, I asked the Lord about what exactly, you know, the Lord is seeing here that this one uh, brother is trying to get the little speck out of the eye of this brother, and God sees a log in their eye, but they don't see it, right? That's how Jesus is telling the story. Third party, you've got a log you don't see. I see you've got it, but you're trying to take the speck out of this little guy's eye. What are you thinking? And I thought, God, what is the log to you? What is it you see in people that's a log in our eye? And I realized it was a lack of love. That when we have love for people, deep in our heart, then you can touch a speck. But if you don't love people, you shouldn't touch anything about them. Yeah? My mom was able to say with a hanky in her hand, lick this, you got something on your face. Anybody's mom ever do that to him? Am I the only one with a weird mom? Look at this. And you, uh, and you, and you got, and if anybody else would do that, it would freak you out. It's bad enough when your mom does it, but she can get away with it. Why? Nobody loves you like your mom. When you love somebody with a mother's love, you can point out little things. But until you love them with your life, probably not good to point out things. You've got a log in your eye if you're trying to get their speck. Does that help me? That helped me. All right, Lori, I'd like you to come up. We're going to do and begin to do something a little different. One of the things we found during prayer time is that many of you just need a time with Jesus. But if you come forward, we don't know if we're supposed to pray for you or leave you alone. And we want to make that a time at the altar where you can just have a private time with the Lord. And what we're going to begin to do is ask the prayer team to go back in that far corner back there. And so as we get ready to sing, we're going to have a prayer team back there. If you would like prayer, first off, for those of you that feel like you need mercy in your life, maybe somebody hasn't showed it to you or you know enough about yourself, you're going, God, I just need mercy. I need your mercy, God. We're going to say, feel free to go back and just have somebody pray for you. There are so many times in my life I need mercy. and If you feel like you need mercy today, just ask somebody to go pray for you in the back corner there. Maybe... Some of you realize that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You haven't been real merciful in your life. Uh, there's moments in my life all the time like that where I go, oh, God, I was not as merciful. I would not have been the father sitting there going, well, I guess you have to drive the truck. It would be, I don't know. I've got three kids. One goes away. I've still got two. I don't know. It would have just been, I wouldn't have been as merciful as that father. I'm just telling you. Maybe this has been a season of your life where you just have needed more mercy than you have right now. Let, ask the Lord to forgive you and move on. But ask him to touch your heart and give you more mercy in your life with your family, your workers, your kids at school, whatever it is. So if you need to extend mercy more than you are, feel free to go in the back and just have prayer in that corner. If you're struggling this morning feeling judged, that you found yourself trying to vindicate and validate yourself. That's not wrong. That's just natural. And you just want to feel validated in the Lord. You know He can vindicate and validate you no matter what the world thinks. And give you the greatest sense of peace and joy 
Ah, Father, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Maybe you've deserved it. Maybe you haven't. doesn't matter. Ask the Lord to forgive you. But just allow the Lord a chance to validate your life. No matter what anybody else is saying, no matter what you're saying in your head, no matter what the enemy, just silence the enemy by going and hearing what God says. If you want, you can resist the enemy, submit to God, and the enemy will flee from you this morning. Just ask the Lord to vindicate and validate your life. Oh, he can do that in such a beautiful way. And I'd like to ask you all to stand at this time. And the last thing is, I never want to have a church service that doesn't give you all a chance to experience a life with Jesus. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, I'm telling you, it's the greatest validation moment of your life. It's the greatest vindication moment of your life. He will show you mercy. We, recently, Tony and Sophia have said, it's okay not to be okay. And I love that. It's another way of saying you don't have to be perfect. The reason it's okay not to be okay is because Jesus shows more mercy than anybody you will ever find in your life. He is the most merciful person you will ever have in your life. Jesus did not come into this world Another word for judging is condemning. He did not come into this world to condemn you, but to show you great mercy. This is at the very core of why we say he's Jesus generous. So right now, if there's anybody here with all eyes closed, if there's anybody here that says, I need the mercy of Jesus, I need to be forgiven, I want to walk into a life that will be validated by a God who loves me and honors me and wants the best for me. If right now you find yourself wanting to reach out for Jesus' hand, would you just raise your hand right now with every eye closed, and I just want to pray with you right now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Father, you see the hearts and hands of your people. We ask, oh God, you would just forgive us of our iniquity. Be merciful to us, oh God, and cause us to, Father, be able to give out great gifts this year. In this season, that we will give the gift of mercy and a generous heart that doesn't judge, Father, that allows people to feel validated around us, Father, where we even vindicate for them, Father. Father, we thank you for being willing to take our hand and forgive us and show us mercy and help us not to feel judged or be judged or to judge or to condemn others in Jesus' name that we might all be generous and give this season, Father, that you might give to us. We're going to go ahead and sing at this time. If you want to have prayer, just go back in that back corner back there and let David and his team pray with you. And If you just want to stay in your pew and just like Tony had, even put your hand on your own heart and let the Lord minister to you there, that's okay too. Let's go ahead and sing, Lori. You are holy. You are worthy. Yeah, Lord. You are wonderful and awesome is your name. You are lovely. You are mighty. You are wonderful and awesome is your name. And I will pray.
as we were singing, I just got excited because I realized from God's perspective, he's had a lot of years on many of us to work on this in our lives. And I realized he's positioned you and this church to be some of the greatest Christmas presents out there in the Treasure Valley that the valley could ever see. That God is sending into the workplace, into schools, people that love other people, that show mercy to other people. You are just loaded with mercy and love and a non-judgmental attitude. You just are, you've got it in spades, people of God. And that's why he says, don't hide your light under a bushel. Whatever you do, you've got the greatest gift in the world to give to people around you. A loving, merciful, kind, generous heart. You need to let them see that this season. And let them see that you are a son of the Most High, a daughter of the Most High God. And this is how God feels about them. Because the world doesn't always know that God's merciful and non-judgmental. But he is, isn't he? The most loving, forgiving God this world's ever seen. That there's nothing you can do to earn what he has for you. He just gives it out of his own grace and mercy and generous heart. And I got excited because I all of a sudden saw a vision in my mind of God spreading you out like lights in a dark place. To be loving and merciful and forgiving. To give and to love and to represent the spirit of Christ and the true spirit of Christmas in this season. I believe our foster kids and foster parents are going to feel your love through your generosity. People on the streets, the little Santa Clauses that ring the bell, the people at work you just love regardless of their worth in the world's eyes. And you're going to validate and vindicate people to Christ. I see you winning people to Jesus just through this message right here, just giving them mercy, giving them love, and validating them and vindicating them when nobody else around them will. You'll vindicate them and make them feel worthy and you'll reestablish their hearts. Heavenly Father, I believe that and I pray for that for this people that they are armed and lovely. <laughs> they are armed and beautiful and only dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Father, we release them into the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah.